Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. If you have your Bibles, why don't you flip open with me to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read just uh, verses 1 through verse 3 together. And this is what it says. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. This is the perfect time for the author of Acts, which is Luke, to segue into this is what's going to happen. Hey, this is foreshadowing right here. We see a person, okay, Saul, which we'll find out later on as we go in to see his life, but enter in a main character, okay, completely okay with it, agreed in the killing with Stephen, And it goes on to say, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all of the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So far up to this time, we have seen, and and Brian brought you through this, this is about about four to five years in the making since the Pentecost, right? Since the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles and they started preaching and teaching and they built the church um, uh, based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they haven't left Jerusalem Jesus told them in Acts 1.8 that you are going to go and be my witnesses everywhere. And so far, they've been safe. So far, hey, we've got a great thing going. Let's keep it going. And now there's persecution and people are being scattered absolutely everywhere. There's a thing about history a little bit that, that kind of goes on that uh, as he's talking about in chap- actually verse 1 when he says, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. This is great. I always thought that Samarians were just Gentiles. And so you're going to get a little bit of a quick history lesson here on uh, the Samaritan people. So what had happened is King Solomon was uh, king after King David and he set up... Uh, Actually, I have to back up a little bit, okay? Israel is made up of 12 tribes, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so everybody was kept together through David and uh, through Solomon. But what happened is, is when Solomon died, uh, there were a couple, uh, actually the kingdom split. There was 10 tribes who decided to kind of go and follow uh, some other leader, a great general. And so that general actually ended up not doing, taking them very far. And so uh, they just on, kept on getting destroyed by other nations. And essentially what happened is, is all these other nations intermarried into um, the, the northern kingdom. And so they all uh, intermarried. And pretty soon, guess what? There wasn't really a pure blood Jewish nation anymore. But then there was two tribes um, who stuck with it. 
okay, the tribe of, well, I'm just going to say the southern nation, Judah, okay, and Judah kind of was sticking with God and going, no, we cannot leave what God is asking us to do, and so we are going to see Solomon's son as our leader, and so they continued to follow Solomon's son, but once again, they kind of uh, didn't do what God is asking them to do. They actually went into exile, and so when they came back, though, they still believed that they were the true followers because in Judah is where uh, they set up the temple for everybody to worship. So what happens now is you have a division split where somebody thinks that one person is better than the other. That we have the true religion, you don't have the true religion. And so now we have this hatred going on and this feud between the people who are called God's people. They can't get along and there's even a story where uh, Jesus comes across a woman and she goes, we keep on fighting about which place is the best place to worship. Should we worship over here? But some of you guys say we should worship over there. Where's the place to worship? And Jesus says there's going to come a day where you can worship in spirit and truth. There's going to come a day where you will understand that it's just me who you're going to worship. But I don't think that it sinks in very often. Because it had taken five years and persecution for the church to finally move out of Jerusalem and start going to their brothers and their sisters. People that they have a common history with and a bond with. You would normally think that persecution and opposition would stop the plans of God. But in this case, persecution and opposition don't stop the plans of God. They continue to move. They continue to find people who are lost and in need of the gospel. But the problem is, is not so much with the plan as it is with us. See, I was a freshman in high school and I went from a school of 13 kids to a class of 625 in one year. And so navigating everything and trying to figure everything out. And I went to school with, her name was Nicole. And I went to school with her when she was in uh, my class of 13, and Nicole bugged the heck out of me. Did not like her, um, did not think that she was amazing. She got me in more trouble than anything. And so when we get into high school, I'm thinking, yeah, I got away from Nicole. Until that day going in, I still remember the room, and I still remember that the dean's office is right across the hallway. And so if you've heard this story before, just, I'm getting old. I can't remember if I've told you these stories, but um, I still remember my, one, of my, uh, one of my lineman buddies from football, he goes, I can't believe that you made out with Nicole. Man, you are gross. What's wrong with you? And I looked at him and I said, ah, 
I have never made out with that girl before in my life. And he goes, that's not what she said. And so, like, I'm like, I'm fired up, right? I am ready to go. And so I stomp into, I stomp it. I was, it was pre-algebra. I wasn't good enough as a freshman to go into algebra. So it was pre-algebra. I go into class. I get there, and we've got, like, they're not desks at this, right? You sit two to a table. You know, you actually had to talk to your partner. But anyway, so I came in, and I marched right up to her, and I said, I said, you need to stop telling lies. I have never made out with you. I think you are ugly. I think you are disgusting. And I would never make out with you in a million years. You are gross. And there was a lot, that was probably the calm down version. So she looked at me with tears in her eyes. Because I told her she wasn't worth it. I told her that I didn't like her tears in her eyes. She looks at me and she says the only thing that she can think of. And she says, you go to hell, Seth. And I turned around and I said, no, you go to hell, Nicole. And she said to me straight up, Mormons don't go to hell. And I looked at her and I said, not in my book. And I turned around and I walked out. That day on, my relationship with Nicole was one of absolute strife. She would see me in the hallway and try to say, hey, Seth, how's it going? She would try to engage with me, just try to get something. And I had already marked her off of that day as somebody who doesn't deserve love. Somebody who doesn't deserve attention. Somebody who had such a bad history with me that they don't really deserve my time of day to be able to share the most important thing with them. It took until my sophomore year of college when, I was, when uh, somebody had invited her because she went to the same college as me. So grade school, high school, college. I would like to think she was following me, but that's not the case. But uh, we were at a college and career night and she showed up to one of our nights and she came to me and, and she just said, hey, can I, can I talk to you? <laughs> and everything inside of me was like, no, no, don't go talk to her. But I did. I, w- I went and talked to her. I still even remember the same room we went and, and talked, to, talked to her about. But she shared so many things with me about her life and about what was going on and about the destruction that she had seen in her path and the, her feelings of, I'm not worth it. I, I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be accepted ever. And that night, something happened. That night, I realized in that moment that the gospel is for everyone. That the gospel is is not me, but it is her feeling the love of Christ. It is her knowing and understanding that she is created fearfully and wonderfully and that God loves her so absolutely much. Even when human beings fail, even when her horrible past of history with me blinded what I thought could happen in her life. And so that night, we prayed for her to accept Jesus Christ. I don't know where 
she is today. I actually don't know much except for we graduated college together and I moved and we even drove by her house a couple of weeks ago when I was in Billings where she grew up and and I I have no clue what happened to her. But this very story is the exact same thing that these people for five years thought it was okay to live in Jerusalem and not share the love of God with anybody else. To not take the gospel outside of their city. They waited for people to come to them. They waited for people to see the miraculous things that were happening and going on. But they did not give people the time of day because they didn't think they were worth it. And if I could ask you right now, who is in your life that you would not want to share the gospel with, I guarantee you could come up with somebody. I could guarantee you could come up with somebody that has hurt you, that has hurt your feelings, or that you've already written off that said, no, they'll never need the gospel. And you know how I know that? Because I know that there's a phrase that comes into this church or in, there's a phrase that is in the church world of people saying, man, if I step foot in that church, I'll burn the place down. We say things like, you are so far gone, you are so horrible, Jesus could never love you because if you walked into his church, the place would burn down. Or the opposite is true, is that sometimes we don't share the gospel because the gospel is not in us. The gospel hasn't sunk into us to go, no, I, I want to see how to give everybody the opportunity to understand the love of God shown through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in my everyday life. See, when persecution comes, I think there's two things that we end up doing is we end up hunkering down until everything is safe, which isn't always a bad thing. Or we go out and we risk it all and we say, no, this is for the sake of the call of God. And only you can answer that because that's with you spending time with Jesus Christ, listening to the Holy Spirit, walking with him, being guided and directed by him. This isn't a a call for us to be reckless and go out and find opposition and persecution wherever we can so that the plan of God can be spread even easier. No, this is a call for us to go, God, what have you called me to do? It just so happens that persecution pushes all these people outside of Samaria. And then we get this story, I'm sorry, outside of Jerusalem, and we get this story of Philip preaching in Samaria. And this is a fantastic story. And so we're going to read this together and then unpack it a little bit. But it starts in verse 4. It says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They weren't waiting for the right moment. It was just wherever they went, they preached it. Philip, for example, went to a city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims. 
and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be great, someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by, sign, by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gifts can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you, he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Salvation found in the gospel is free. You have believers going absolutely everywhere and telling people about the Messiah, about the freedom, and about caring for them, and about saying, man, I, we have the answer, and it's found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and this is why. And we've already talked about all those things in, in uh, last week. The whole gospel was laid out for us in last week's sermon, so go listen to it, and listen to uh, not Brian's words, Stephen's words in telling the gospel, and this is exactly what these people are doing, walking through and saying, you know this is what's happening, and this is what's going on. Now we have found the answer in the Messiah. And it just so happens to be that there's a guy named Simon. And let me give you a little bit of um, background on Simon. If Simon were around or if we were in that time, Simon would be the equivalent of your guys' cell phones. He would be the equivalent of you being able to be entertained at any point in time. That with a click of a button, you could just scroll your whole entire life through Instagram and see what people are doing and be amazed. Or you could pull up Netflix and be shocked by what's going on. Simon is this guy. He pulls out magic tricks. He's showing people. He's doing miraculous things. He's trying to say, hey, I've got the power and wisdom. And he's 
completely taking people away. He would be, a, <laughs> dare I say it, probably a TV evangelist of the day. Give me your money so I can show you some amazing things and you'll believe and so you can keep on coming back to me over and over again. And all of a the sudden, there's a group of people that say, that's not, you don't have to pay for this. Salvation is found in the Messiah and Jesus Christ and this is who he is. And so people are leaving him in droves, but yet Simon is going, wait a second, these people are greater than me, and so he sees something in them. He even gets baptized and believes in Jesus. But then how quickly his sin kind of enters in, and he sees that he actually doesn't have the power the rest of them do, and so he asks them, would you give me the power to be able to bestow power he doesn't ask for the Holy Spirit. He doesn't ask for the salvation of Jesus Christ. He asks for the power to be able to do that. It's not unlike today, is it? When we try to promote ourselves at any time. We seek spiritual power and abilities to put ourselves forward. And we make the same exact error he does. For me, Maybe it's preaching to gain recognition or status or to be thought as cool in front of people. For some of us in this room, it might be serving with an eye to advance in some sort of church structure or to become better than we actually are right now so that people think that we're okay. Maybe it's that we come to church over and over and over again thinking that somehow if we come to church enough, God will absolve us of our sin. Maybe if we give enough, I can get rid of the guilt and the shame that I have. Maybe it's the fact that we look at everybody else and we go, well, guess what? They have these things. They must be blessed. And everywhere I see in Scripture, Jesus, well, Jesus even says, man, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Are you serving one another? Love your neighbor as yourself. Follow God. Don't follow man. In fact, actually, uh, we even know from history that Simon becomes famous because of this. It's actually called simony. And what it is, is this, is that their ability to try to buy something to get them into the good graces of God. It's not, it's not so crazy. This is six years after the Pentecost. Almost maybe 60 years later, we see the Roman Catholic Church telling people, if you want to be absolved of your sins, buy these things from the apostles. Do this. Five years before this, we saw Jesus overturn the temple and saying, you wicked people, you're selling these lambs and you know that you're trying to make a profit on it. The human condition is, is that we keep on trying to make ourselves better than we really are and we're not looking towards Jesus Christ because we don't believe that salvation in the gospel is free. 
W.A. Criswell says this, and he says it so poignantly in, in this idea. He says, money will buy luxuries, but it will never buy spiritual power. Money will buy advancement and preferment, but it will not buy recognition of God. Money will buy syncopanthic, <laughs> uh, fawning favor and accolades, but it will not buy soul respect. Money will buy libraries, but it will not buy poetic fire or insight or wisdom. Money will buy a prostitute, but it can't buy love. Money can buy diamonds, but it can never buy the sparkle and light in the eye. Money can buy pleasure and entertainment, but it cannot buy happiness. Money can buy a suit, but it cannot buy a physique. Money can buy medicine, but it cannot buy health. And money can buy a house, but it cannot buy a home. Place it with other things that we might do. Our time and our talents, like Brian was talking about two weeks ago. If we do that simply thinking that we're going to buy something for ourselves, feel better for ourselves, it's the wrong way. If I am, I'll just give you a perfect example, and I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but if I am doing stuff in my household as a father or as a husband so that my kids can give me praise and accolades, it's for the exact wrong reason. I do it because I love them. I do it because I've been called to that. And I think this is what God is calling us to, is that I you have to understand that if it's a, if it's a buying system, then it, if, it's, if it's a not free system, then you have to keep on working and it's never gonna be enough because you're not holy enough and you're not good enough. And this isn't a, <laughs> I, I wrote this down and once again, this isn't an Oprah repentance it's not a, hey, God, I believe you, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. No, it is, it is the idea that, God, I, your salvation is enough, and it's free, and it's lavished upon me. And now my mission is to take on your heart, which is God's mission for the whole world that they might be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that. John 3.17 that the whole world, I, I didn't, come, didn't come to just to abolish the law, but that the whole world might be saved through me. First Timothy says, that I, don't, I don't wish that anybody, would be per- that anybody would perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't want to get into all of the... Um, nuances about how the Holy Spirit comes down and all that sort of stuff. I want to get into the idea that if, if Brian asked us last week, would you die for your faith? How are you living your faith now? Do you keep on getting on that treadmill that says, if I just do enough, maybe I'll be blessed? Maybe you are looking at things going, why can't I have that blessed life? And that was never promised to you. 
I fear getting into the prosperity gospel of things. My wife uh, has been reading a, a book with me called The Insanity of God, and it's a book about persecution in, uh, in Africa, and um, this guy, the author, went around to a um, bunch of persecuted people, and they were just telling stories after stories about persecution. And he's like, why are you, he tells these people, he's like, why have you not written these things down? Why have you not uh, gotten books and told people about this idea and had everybody know. And one guy pulls him aside and, and he, the, he, he gets two answers from these people. One guy pulls him aside and he goes, he goes hey, do you, when you wake up in the morning, do you pull your kids over to a window and go, look, Look, the sun rose today. Isn't this amazing? Take this breath in. Isn't this amazing? And, and he told him the story of things that just happen every, every day. And, and he goes, no, I've never done that for my, with my son, maybe once. And he said, then why, why would you write that down? Persecution is just normal for us. Just like you think the rising of the sun is completely normal to you. And then another guy comes to him and... and uh, answers the question to him and he says, I don't need to write it down because every single one of our stories of persecution are in the Bible. We see it. We're not surprised by this. I'm not saying these things to us this morning to make us go, <laughs> go look for persecution, go start a fight with somebody today. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when the gospel sinks into our hearts, and we for once realize that it is for everyone and it is completely free. It changes our mindset. It makes me want to go to the Nicoles of my life and go, I am so sorry that I have kept this from you. I am so sorry that I've made it about myself, that I've tried to buy things with God for the longest time. But I want you to experience the free gift of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be caught in this endless trap that Simon is caught in when they say this. He says, I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and that you are held captive by sin. I don't, I don't want to put the prayer on other people to pray for me. I, I want to spend the time with God and say, God, where in my heart do I need your Holy Spirit more? God, where are you calling me to now? Where have I been stuck? Where have I been not looking for you to work in and through my life? Because if I'm a witness in Glasgow and in Valley County and Montana and to the outer ends of the earth, God, where would you have me go? What am I missing? Where am I, where, where am I not seeing your presence? This, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward because this, this last song that we're going to sing is unbelievable. It's, um, you're a good, good father. And in the chorus, it says, you're a good father and I am loved by you. You didn't have to do anything for it. 
Simon can't buy it. It is offered to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's for all people, not just the people we like. But what I find interesting in this story also is the fact that the gospel went to the down and out. It didn't go to the people who we thought had it all together. It went to the people who had somehow lost their way a little bit. And to the Samaritans that had known who Jesus was, or I'm sorry, who had known the story of God in their lives and, and had walked away from it. And they were trying at every bit to grasp whatever they could just the semblance of what it maybe means to understand Jesus. And it was the goal of those people who knew Jesus to go, I want to share the gospel wherever I go because it has the power to change lives. And the great part is, is it's completely free for everyone who chooses to believe. And I don't know what Simon's story is after this. We clearly see that he was baptized. I hope that he started understanding in that moment that it was more about his relationship with God than his relationship with other people and making a name for himself. And so no matter where you find yourself this morning as you sing this song, would you take that moment to say, no, God, I want this to be about you because you are the good father. Thank you for your free gift of salvation. Would you, if you haven't accepted it, would you, would you speak to God about that as you're listening and singing this song? But would you maybe open up your heart and ask God, God, where are you asking me to share your gospel? to people I know that I've been closed off to. And then Brian will come and close us in prayer. Dads. Moms can probably relate as well. How much money would your kids have to give you for you to love them? It sounds like a silly question, right? It is. It's absolutely silly. It's silly to think that that anything your children do is going to change how and why you love them. Dads, we, we love our kids unconditionally, and we can think of the worst possible things our kids could do, but still, there's, there's human sin that might get in the way, but still, deep down, we love them unconditionally. And now multiply that times a bazigazillion. That's not even a word, but a bazigazillion. And that's God's love for all of us. And so the, the good news is salvation can't be bought. I think sometimes we falsely come to church thinking of the, the next cool Christian thing we can do 
that will make us look more Christian-y. But all that's going to accomplish is on the day of your funeral, people will think you're in heaven. They will think, oh, well, this good person is probably in heaven because they looked Christian-y. But it can't be bought because it's already been paid for. We have, we have a savior that unconditionally loved us and died for our sins. And so there might be some of you in here today, fathers, kids, mothers, that are just trying so hard to seek human approval or God's approval because you feel that you just, you're, you're not worth it. And you have to know that, that it's already been bought for. It's already been paid for. It's already been bought. Christ died for you. And ultimately, all God cares about is your heart. And our actions and, and the things that we do and spreading the gospel, that's all going to happen when, when just our heart is for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your example. Lord, can you shine a light in the areas in our life where we're just trying to do the right thing to earn either your acceptance or someone's acceptance? Lord, can you shine a light there? And Lord, then can you help us remove that? Can you just, just as you did for all the Samaritans, Lord, can, can you just help us feel your presence more and more? Can we understand that, that we are accepted, that we are loved? And Lord, as, as we celebrate Father's Day today, and who knows what we're all going to go off and do, but it's probably going to be eat food and, and try our best to be lazy. Lord, in all of that, can you instill in the fathers in this room your kind of love, your kind of acceptance. Lord, re, relight the fire in our lives as fathers to, to be willing to die for our families and to show the example that you've set to just love unconditionally. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you, we thank you. In your holy name we pray, amen. We do have a, a photo, selfie, family picture spot back there if you'd like to do it. The only payment required to use that spot is to move a green chair or pull a weed. Have a good Sunday. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.